basically, what I think what it comes down to, all the old-time radio shows that come from the big-time guys who put on audio CDs today, they have been able to go back to the original masters, and it sounds great. Not all the shows have been transferred yet that way. So when I, because I've been collecting since the mid-70s, uh, guys who transferred back in the 70s and 80s, they didn't have the, the best equipment to transfer like they do today. And I think, and that's why I think we suffer for some shows that uh, not being as good as sound. So I'm not, I'm not complaining. No, no, but I, it's, a, it's a great question. It's a great question, and that's why. That's why, uh, if I can, I try to get them from the best sources. But when I can't get it from there, because I know who who had the best sources, um, then I gotta just go what I got. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. I said, I'm not complaining. No, no, I just no. did not know if you were aware of how it was coming out on the other end. Uh huh. Because you're in the studio, and sometimes when you're in the studio, being an ex DJ, I know that you're not getting exactly what the outside is getting. Well, yeah, and it's interesting, and you might appreciate how we do this. Um. When we, when I send the show over the telephone line down to Texas and then they th- put it in the system, the only way I can tell what people h- hear, I call down to Texas and listen to the show that, on my phone just to see how it sounds. And that's how I try to adjust how it sounds down in Texas. And do and that's pretty close what people are going to hear. But, uh, really? but uh, I do that, you know, every half hour or so just to try to pinpoint where we might be. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, like I said, I was just letting you know you in bet. case you did not know. Yep. Thank you a bunch. You bet. I had, I had my ears on. Well, I, I appreciate it. Good for you. <laughs> That's my favorite expression. I had my ears on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, have a great night, and I'm looking forward to listening to the next show. Okay. Okey-dokey, and we've got, uh, no, I don't have questions for that, because that's our sign-off. When I do the second show, and and Walden runs it, that's our sign-off. So, for questions about shows that we're playing, i got to wait for next week. Wait a minute, you should give the questions now, and if people can answer them, then see if they got them correct when the show plays. <laughs> hey, what? <laughs> wait a minute, then I'd have to get pen and paper out. <laughs> I would not remember that next week. Um, no, my my thinking is just answer the question before you hear the show. Yeah, Walden would remember it for next week. Well, no, I would I, not remember what I asked. Well, no, but see, I thought if Patricia gave the answers now, people calling with the question. Oh, this is like like um Jeopardy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a great All week. right, Lucille. Thank you, Lucille. Do feel better. Uh, I I'm. Trying really hard to, but and you make it easy to start feeling better. So you take care of yourself. I'm trying. Good. <laughs> Thanks Great for following. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 There she goes. Okay, so Get new Cheerios. Here we go with what? Here we go, calling. Oh yes. Okay. Well, we've asked for the original name of Tonto's horse. <clears throat> Walden got stymied and needs some help on what Sergeant Preston's first name is, or was, or was. If anybody knows how come we lived with Malamutes for eight months instead of Huskies, that would be great, too. And let's see what other questions we have here. What other questions do we have? Almost every week, Fibber or Molly had Mert the operator on the phone. 
Was Mert always an unseen character, or did Mert ever appear in person on that show? That's a pretty good one. That's an awesome. I know the answer to that one. And somebody got, yep, Ron got that one. So let's go to, in the show Blondie, Blondie and Dagwood had a little boy. What was the little boy's name? Gosh. I'll give the, I'll give who played, who played the little boy. Yeah, who played the little boy? Tommy Cook. Did he really? Yes, that was Tommy. Well, for goodness sakes, Little Beaver was actually Blondie and Dagwood's little boy. Uh-huh. Little Beaver was a little boy. He was a oh. little boy. Tommy Cook did an awful lot of shows. Oh, yeah. And most of his work, I guess, was um, individual shows as opposed to a repeat character on shows. Am I correct? Well, he had some major roles as Little Beaver. Right. Uh, Blondie's son, and also he was Junior in Life of Riley. Uh-huh. So those would be his three, but, but he really considered himself a serious dramatic actor, and generally that's where uh, people would hire him to do. Uh-huh. Even though I think he got a... No, he did some work with Arch Obler. How right. much work did he do? He was basically, the, he was always the first boy called for, uh, for always Arch shows. Which were... Uh, well, been like the lights out, the uh, authors, um, I- you know, any American, uh, play for Americans, any any of the World War Two types of uh, things that Arch would write for, he would use Tommy Cook. Uh huh. So he was, but then Tommy got really interested in the movies, and so he wasn't doing as much radio as probably as he could have. But uh-huh. but he did a lot. He did a lot. Did a very lot. How long, and this is going to sound like a screwy question, but how long was he able to be a child actor in the sense that he was playing young people? And that's a good way to put well, it. Okay. How long was he able to play children and young people, juveniles, in radio shows? I'd say about 10 years. And about how old was he when he couldn't do that any longer? About 18 about 18, and then, okay, then he, I know Frank had mentioned a couple of times mm-hmm. that his voice was good enough that he could get away with playing a young person, uh, you know, a juvenile. When right. I say young person, I mean a, a juvenile or a kid for a lot longer than the average bear as well. And and, and then what I mean, then Tommy, if you listen to Tommy's voice, it still has a very young timber. Mm-hmm. And I would say after the juvenile, he would play very young, like older, te- like t- older teenagers, very young twentieth type of voice. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I if you look at the, remember the, I asked you to pull up his radio credits. Yeah. At one time, and he was still doing stuff for Heartbeat Theater in the in the mid to late sixties, and I bet that was pretty much all young sounding people voices mm-hmm. he, he could throw throw together. Now, Dick Beals is another one who continued. He, um, he was one of the people who could continue, like Walter Tetley, right. and forever play a young person if that's yep, what the role called for. And he still does. He, he still has it. Uh-huh. And Walter Tetley, of course, um, he, he was just irreplaceable. There was no other person like Walter Tetley. I, he I, was the one who played... 
Gildersleeve's nephew, Leroy, right. and he also played Julius Abruzio with the really Brooklyn accent. <laughs> hey, my name is Julius Abruzio. Mr. <laughs> he's calling Mr. Harris. What are you doing up there? <laughs> and uh, I, I wa- his ability to change personalities and accents, uh, it, it, he was a remarkable actor. I think but, his comedy timing was tremendous. Oof. And yes. and I think that's why he was a hard person to replace. Cause Dick Dick does not have the comedy feel. Um, a lot of them who could do that uh-huh. was not in um in uh in Walter Tetley's uh timing range, and that's why he got the comedy parts generally as a young kid. Yeah. Um. Now, did he play any other regular or ongoing roles besides? Leroy Forrester and um, Julius Abruzio. <laughs> no, no I, think, I think most of his variety roles would have been back in the 30s when he was out of New York. Uh-huh. I think once he made the move to Hollywood, you know, I could hear his voice in 1939 on Lux Radio Theater and on Fibber McGee and Molly. I heard it at least once. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think once uh, Leroy... Not then, and then uh, Phil Harris a few years later. That was it. That was it. He that was did it. not have the broad spectrum visibility that a person like Tommy Cook had. Tommy did, I think he did 40% of the shows on radio, yeah. either individually or repeat performances. I mean, he, he just was all over. Yeah, I mean, but, it might have been, uh, without knowing, there's a great little book called Walter... Tetley's scrapbook, I think I think he got a copy I of it. I do have a copy of that. I need to haul that out and look at it again. And in there, it was interesting, uh, they took it from his scrapbook. His mother kept the scrapbook, and that was part of the deal. Um, so that's how come we have all the credits. And basically, he ran a pet store. So he probably got, and I would not have been surprised he would gotten contract saying that you're pretty exclusive to us. You know, that voice was so identifiable. Yeah. I would not have been surprised. Except he could change it sufficiently for different roles. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people would, uh, casual listeners, would pick up that the character on Phil Harris and Alice Faye was played by the same person who did Leroy on The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. And that's why I think that I think that's a good point. And maybe once sometime you pull up the book, maybe we can review the credits. But I think huh? most of the credits are all his New York days. He was he was on the Fred Allen show a lot and other shows uh, out in New York. He is probably one of the most underappreciated or under visible. I don't know how you would say that. An awful lot of performers got and still get an awful lot more visibility and credit and conversation than Walter Tetley did, and I think he was one of the best actors in radio. Just loved him. What other voices do you like? I'm just talking about voices. Ooh, what a great question. Yeah. Let me think. Let me think. I gotta gotta look at my stuff here. I love Basil Rathbone. Uh-huh. I, I could listen to his voice for a very long time. Um, it has a very culture sounding to it, yep. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah he does. And, and he had um, he had a spitfire.
satire type speech yes. where he could take a block of copy and maybe he wouldn't take any any less time than the average actor to read it, but he would go through that. If anyone were trying to learn the English language, listening to Basil Rathbone was not the person to choose because his sentences came out so fast, but they were emotion. He had a lot of emotion. There was nothing flat about Basil Rathbone, so that one's good. Let me think. Who else do I appreciate and enjoy? It's probably comedy. Oh, um, Homer Brown. Who played Homer? Yeah, it was Jackie Kelk. Yes, Jackie Kelk. Yeah. I loved his voice. Now, he, he Homer was, is Archie, um, I'm sorry, um, Henry Aldrich's best buddy. friend. So Henry and Homer are a pair, and Homer would say, Oh, boy, Hen when they were getting into trouble. Yep. Great pair, and I loved Henry Aldrich's voice as well. And Jackie Kill, everybody, was Jimmy Olsen during the Superman days on radio. Yes. Yes. And, but uh, as the boys got older, they didn't give up the show. No. So we had these um, post-puberty young men who were trying to play squeaky-voiced, changing-voiced uh-huh. kids, and it didn't work. It, it didn't work. Uh, it, it's almost disappointing to hear those shows because the kids they are supposed to be playing aren't there any longer. So, let me see. I like uh, Bob Bailey's voice. That uh-huh. was good. That was good. He had, he had a phrase when he was hearing a piece of information that was new or poignant or made a difference in the case. He would say, uh-huh. That <laughs> was good. I've been listening to a couple of Johnny Dollars this week. Vincent Price. I like Vincent Price's voice. I love the show you sent me this week. That was so much fun listening to Bob Bailey. Oh, wasn't it? And Vincent Price. I had a hoot listening. That was a good show. A good show. The show I sent to Walden is a Yours Truly Johnny Dollar with Bob Bailey. If you put the, oh, that's the next question for you, so you're going to have to study up on, on yours truly, Johnny Dollar. I do have a question for you. But if you put all of the actors who played Johnny Dollar side by side uh, and people listened to their renditions, they were all good, but the overwhelming majority of people would pick Bob Bailey as the quintessential Johnny Dollar. And Johnny Dollar, of course, was an insurance investigator. He would get called as a freelancer by various insurance companies to go out and investigate claims that were being made to make sure they were legitimate. And if they weren't legitimate, how come? Was this murder? Was it an accidental death? Was this arson? Or did the place burn down all by itself? And uh, the show that I sent to Walden this week was one with Vincent Price. Vincent Price played himself in the show. He called Johnny Dollar and talked about an art theft. Now, a theft from his art collection. Vincent Price was an art collector. But they set this one up pretty well, and I haven't listened to it in a very long time. But as I recall, Walden, you can help me on this, he had not really the best track record on, on this particular piece of art. Right. He had not bought it from uh, what you would uh, consider a legitimate dealer. He uh, kind of bought it on the back streets. Yep. So he had this valuable piece of artwork that he just loved. He didn't buy it 
so much as an investment, but to enjoy. And he couldn't call the cops to report a robbery from, or a burglary, not a robbery, a burglary about a piece of artwork that he shouldn't have had to begin with. And that's how he got Johnny Dollar in on the case to track down the piece of artwork. Did I get that right? You got it. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. It's, got been, it's been a very long time since I listened to that show, but it is so good. I enjoyed it. I, I'm so glad you sent it to me. I, I really did enjoy that. It was one, I think it was when we were talking with Michael Haid. Not Michael Haid. Um, who had the Johnny Dollar book? Oh, John Abbott. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, John Abbott. When we were talking with John Abbott and talking about the various... Uh, or the evolution of the show itself and how it changed over the years. I believe that was a question I had asked him. Do you recall when they had a couple of um, high visibility and notable characters or people, um, actors who I do recall. were included in the show? And I asked about Vincent Price, and that's how you and I got to talk about it. And plus, there it was this week. I just found it. Actually, it found me. Ah, uh, nice thing, fine, Patricia. I like yeah, that. It was an unusual show, uh-huh. to be sure. To be sure. So, I forgot to tell you, I am a farmerette again. Hooray! How would you I ha- have been planting seeds in containers. Now, I have no idea what's going to happen a month from now <laughs> to these containers and these seeds that I am putting in there. But I have got several different kinds of marigolds. I've got some bachelor buttons and flowers that normally people would put out in their yards, but I don't have a yard because I'm in an apartment. So I got these containers about the size of big shoe boxes, and I'm planting seeds in there. And, and the other day, this was not more than three days ago, I planted radish seeds. I'm so happy I'm going to get radishes. And by golly, every one of those seeds has already popped. We're going to have radishes for dinner. I tell you, it's amazing how stuff grows over in Patricia. I know, and I've got, <laughs> I've got something growing. I have no idea what it is, but it's beautiful, so I put it in a pot. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that grew in my container. Uh... You know, I, I, it's very hard to talk about this without sounding like I'm running a landfill here. <laughs> but I've got a Rubbermaid container. It's like a, a file box. And I put some dirt in there, and you know, when I peel an apple, I'll put my apple peels in there. So it's, it's almost like a, um, a, a compost yep. type she has, she has a compost and pile. When I'm, pardon? You have a compost pile going. Yeah, yeah, a little pile. That's mm-hmm. a good word, a little pile. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. And I went out there the other day, and these beautiful leaves are growing. I do not know what they are. I don't know if they sprouted from a piece of potato, or um, I, I did get some squash out of squash seeds that wound up in there when I cored a squash, but these beautiful, beautiful leaves, and they're very large, um, gosh, they must be three inches across, and um, they're almost heart-shaped, so I don't know what they are, but I put them in pots, and they just love it out there, so I've got a mystery plant growing. Actually, two. There were two of them in there. There were two mystery plants, so I moved them. Maybe it'll come out to be something like strawberries or something. Something Patricia can nibble on. Something, yes. Yeah. I need something to get out there. The tomatoes did not do very well. I didn't do a good job with the tomatoes, so 
Well, you're still uh, learning. You're still you're still, a, you're still a babe in the woods out there. I am. Mm-hmm. I am. I'm, so I'm all excited about this. I've got a garden growing out in shoeboxes, <laughs> and it's going to be great. I'm going to have flowers out there. I'm so excited. I haven't had flowers in a very long time. Well, it's nice. You know, it helps brighten up the little place. Uh huh. You know? Keeps yeah. me busy when Walden doesn't give me homework. Gosh. Well, you're a busy little kid this week. You had to read a book. I had to read a book. <laughs> However, that was hardly a homework assignment. It really is a great book. Um, a page turner. And it's interesting. When you talk about a page turner, it's usually in relation to um, a suspense novel yeah. or a mystery. <clears throat> There's something that propels you into the next chapter and the next page. This was just a page turner because it's good. It's it's about Bob Hope. It's about the writers who uh, and the entire team who helped create the shows that people watched and loved. Great stories in there. Oh, I <laughs> wish we had another six hours with poor Bob. Uh, well, we'll get back. I, I like it. Got me thinking. Can. Uh, well, let's, let's be a little technical here about writers in general. Can can you break down writers in different categories? I mean, in other words, Bob made a living as a gag writer. Uh-huh. Uh, was his talent necessarily transferred over to a book, like this one? Or, or there, are, there, are there some talent that strictly a gift that he has that other writers cannot tap into? Another, and I don't think he could... Could he write a great mystery book? Oh, you know, know what I'm saying? Are there, are there different skill he, levels of he writing? He could be a great writer, but writing cross genres um, is is not typical. Uh-huh. Um, you won't find somebody who writes a science book or a nature book, for example. Um, it's not likely that you're going to find that person writing science fiction and a mystery. They can do it, and many of them have done it, but it's not particularly typical. When you get into a really fine, it, it, what, what he did with comedy writing was more art. Uh-huh. Writing, indeed, is an art, but it's a highly refined area of writing. <clears throat> you can be a wonderful writer. That doesn't mean you can write short comedy. You can be a wonderful comedy writer right. and come up with gags and punchlines time after time after time. Can you teach? That doesn't, that doesn't mean you can write a history book. Can you teach comedy writing? Or is that, no, that's just one of those gifts that you almost have to be born with? I don't, I don't know. I've, I've never bought into the theory of talent in the sense that someone would say, oh, I was, I was given a talent and I'm working with it. I think people have an ability uh, to do some things better than others, but to lay success on a talent, I think is unfair. I don't care how, how much of a propensity you have or an innate ability in your brain to develop in this area, it still takes an awful lot of work. Um, and I don't know, I, I just, I, I, I just, have a hard time blaming somebody's success on a talent and not recognizing the hard work that goes into it. Uh, he made it sound like fun, and it probably was because yeah. he enjoyed what he did. 
but he had to be good at it, and he had to refine that skill, and it was not something he could stop working on. Over time, he got better and better and sharper and sharper. Um, That's why it's so important to find something you love to do. Yes. Because uh, you're probably, A, you love to do it, and you're willing to spend the time on it to work on it, but it's not really work because it's play. And for him writing jokes, it probably why it would play, and he probably spent yeah. he probably put in a lot of hours, and that's probably why he didn't mind right. being on call. Mm-hmm. He got pleasure tapping at, or connecting. I guess is a better word. Mm-hmm. He got pleasure out of connecting with Bob Hope mm-hmm. and what his brain needed, and producing it from. His brain, from Bob's, uh, we got two Bobs here. This is <laughs> Bob Hope had something he needed to deliver, and Bob Mills had something to deliver to Bob so that he could deliver. I mean, it really was a, a, a teamwork there. But to come up with something that another person looks at and says, this is good, I'm going to use this, and that something came out of your head, there's an awful lot of joy in hearing that. You think it was an interesting way he described how Hope in the early days would have all the individual writers come up with their own scripts? Yes, and apparently he did that even when he was working with two or three writers. Yeah. Um, I, I've just never heard of anything like that. I was astounded the first time I heard it when I guess you had talked with him quite a while ago. Right. And he was talking about the writing process, and... I, I thought I had misheard something, that there were 12, 13, maybe 14 people, writers, on the team, and all 14 of them were working in 14 different locations on individual scripts, right. and they'd all come together and somehow taking, like, from a Chinese menu, I'll take two from column A, one from <laughs> column B, we'll go over to the appetizers and take one from there, and put together this seamless presentation. It just blew my mind. Yeah. And, and, and considering that probably how much material Hope ate up in a week, <sighs> thinking a live radio show, doing having his writers work on his movie script, and doing stage live performances, he just mm-hmm. must have eaten up material left and right. Yep. Um, Bob, in his book, and perhaps in conversation that I might not have picked up, said that the delivery uh, in a monologue by Bob Hope was four gags on average a minute. Now, sometimes that was a one-liner. Sometimes it was two lines, then a punchline. But there were four distinct gags or bits in a minute. And that went one minute, two minutes, three minutes. There were eight to ten, mon- eight to ten minute monologues. Are you talking 10 minutes? That's 40, 40 jokes. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody else who could keep an audience with 40, just firing 40 pieces of humor at them at the, all at once, just bam, 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 yeah. and not giving them breathing space in between. If you tried to do that in a book or in an article in the, in the comedy or humor department, right. You wouldn't get an editor to the second page. They, you just can't sustain people on that kind of a crest 
without giving them a little bit of breathing space. So it goes up, you hold them there for a little bit, you give them a break. You go up, you hold them there, and you give them a break. And he didn't do that. Bob Hope got them up to this humorous crest and kept them there. Mm-hmm. It was like a wave that never broke. I've read in Comic Con they caught them having 140 jokes per every radio script. Yes. I mean, it's just it'll it's just mind-boggling. Yeah. I cannot make that work in my brain. Obviously, he made it work in a performance. I can't make that work in my brain. Right. See, what? Wow. I don't want to have to do that. No, can't be. Okay, somebody didn't bail you out, Walden. We need to know Sergeant Preston's first name. And if somebody doesn't call in the next couple of minutes, I will give the answer. Oh, you're not going to carry over to next week? Sure, I'll carry over to next week. I'm not going to give the answer. That's good of you. Somebody has to help Walden. What's what it? is the answer? Was it Fred, Bob, Joe, or Harry? It was not Bob, Joe, or Harry. Or Fred? Not Fred. Keep not going, al- you're almost halfway through the alphabet. Okay, alpha, alpha. No. Shorty. Hmm. King. No, it wasn't Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a surprisingly uninteresting name. And I say uninteresting in the sense that for so many radio shows, mm-hmm. we came up with, or the writers came up with, some really intriguing or... Um, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Oh, my goodness, what an, what an example that is. Yeah. How many people would you imagine could be named Sibber? No. Don't know. Phil Harris and Alice Faye, that was a musical combination uh-huh. of four names. So even though Phil and Alice were not necessarily unusual names, it, it had was an a rhythm combination because their last names were in there. It had a rhythm going. It, Pardon? It had a rhythm about it. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And rhythm is important. Mm-hmm. So, what did you do this week, sir? What did I do? Well, I um, I spent most of the week looking on Jerry Hennigan's logs. I was looking up interesting shows for December 41 or D-Day or August uh, VE Day or August the 14th and ordered today some of them for my birthday present. So that's, that was a big task for Walden. Um, we had a speaker from Habitat from Humanity. Always nice that they're doing good work for the oh, community. Oh, really? For my Lions Club. It's a great organization. They sure do. And so we had them come out uh, this, this Thursday. Mm-hmm. And Mom is gone for the weekend. She'll be back Monday afternoon. You guys are batching it? We're batching it, you know. So right now, Philip, my brother's at work, and either Dad's sweeping in the couch or sweeping the chair out in the living room or in his bedroom, and he'll wake up about 2 o'clock, and, and I'll see him for a while probably, you know. And... Well, it's still standing. You didn't do anything terrible. You didn't blow up the water heater or down yet. the kitchen. No, I haven't done anything that interesting this week yet. Good for you. This, this is early. <laughs> <laughs> and what is a little warmer today, so that's, that's some of the uh, nifty stuff. I um I talked to, uh, uh, set up an interview with Bob Hastings' brother, 
Don Hastings, I'm going to interview him Tuesday. He called me. Uh, for those of you who are soap opera fan, I think he's been Dr. Bob Hughes, I think, at the World Turn since 1960. And he started out in radio. And he's still working today. I did not know that he had a brother, never mind one in the entertainment industry. Uh-huh. They're nine years different in age. So Bob, uh-huh. Bob is 85, and his brother Don is 76. And he was a, uh, did one of the legendary kids shows out of New York in the 50s called Captain Video. Mm-hmm. And he was the ranger, I think. And oh, then, my goodness. And then after that, uh, he, uh, had, have had the longest career at the soap opera, Dr. Bob Hughes, from 1960 until today. So he's still a very active uh, working actor. So we're going to talk. He's still acting in the soap opera? Yep. Oh, my gosh. Straight you know what? That's another one you need to help me with the vitamins that they take. This is incredible. Um, the performers who are with us from old-time radio and yep. early television are just incredible people. They are. They are incredible. And like, this way we got confirmed that Norman Corwin's going to Seattle. He so, is, oh, how great. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's pretty exciting. He hasn't flown in an airplane since 2001. Uh-huh. So I think it's pretty amazing that Rep's able to put, put this together. Um, gosh. Yeah. Uh, Norman Corwin is... What what kind of a nickname did radio ever give to Norman Corwin? Well, I like the one that his current agent gave it, the Poet Laureate of Radio. Oh, yes, That's he is. Um, I, I like that one. Mm-hmm. I like that one. And he's, uh, he is probably, I'm, I'm saying probably because we had Elliot Lewis and a couple of others in there, but I would think Norman Corwin would be in within the group of most prolific writers, if not the most prolific writer in radio, and the most recognized and most respected writer. Right. He crossed genres on top of everything else. He could write serious, he could write comedy, he could write um, series, he could write patriotic, he could, he could write on demand, yep. which is incredible. And he is still with us, and he is still teaching, and he is at the University of Southern California. He is a writer-in-residence and teaching classes in journalism, and not journalism, in writing. Writing. Teaching writing classes. So just a remarkable person, remarkable person, and he is now 100 years old. My understanding, they have a tradition at USC. Um which, which, uh, well, I'll talk about it after the call. Hello, Carl, you are on the air with Patricia. And I guess you... I guess you don't want to talk, talk to us. That's okay. Nope, somebody hung up. Wrong number. That's okay. Maybe not. Call back. Walden promises to answer the phone. Or else Patricia can answer it for me. I've got a very long arm. I'll still never understand how all of this comes down. I'm in Florida. Walden's in California. The show is in In Texas. Texas. And all of you are in other places. And you can hear us. That's remarkable. My understanding, his first class in the semester, uh, somebody comes in from the administrative office and wants the students to understand what a treasure Norman is. 
and so he refused to sit in class. They run one of the biopics about his career. Uh-huh. And the first half of the class. That way they, they, the students have an understanding who they're going to be working with for the uh-huh. whole semester. And Norman doesn't want to see it. So he'll wait till the break and then come in and start working with the kids. Has he ever seen this? Probably has. But, uh... I understand, I, I understand what is going through his head when he chooses not to be there. It, it, it's like an introduction, um... I, I, I understand. Yeah. It would be a very hard thing to sit through um, looking at your biography and then standing up and saying, by the way, I'm Norman Corwin, <laughs> and so and I understand that. Yeah, so that way the kids have to understand who Yeoman uh, worked with Orson Welles, who wrote for the President of the United States. They have a feeling who they're going to be working with. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, the caliber and level of teaching that... Uh, he can offer them. And it's probably, a, I, I probably think, I have to hand to the administration, I think it's a good way, that way, when somebody enrolls in class, and at least they have, they get the most opportunity to pick his brain. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they did that for other areas as well? Mm-hmm. It'd hmm. be nice. It'd be nice. Hmm. Okay, nobody is helping you with um, Sergeant Preston's first name. Woof, woof, oh, woof, woof, no, it's not woof, woof. <laughs> we can cross woof, woof, and Fred off the list. Um, let me ask, uh, we asked about Mert, Fibber McGee and Molly's operator, Mistable uh-huh. Vista. Was she always a silent person, or did she actually appear on the show? Silent in the sense that when Fibber got her on the phone, of course, we only heard Fibber's side of the conversation. Right. So we need to know that. And I know the and, answer to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. That's yeah, a good question. we need to know that one. And what else do we have here? I guess that's all we have I guess for tonight. Patricia's going to be with us next uh, June the 5th at the top of the show. And then... Uh, top of the show. See, top of the show meant the top of the clock to me. So <laughs> you told me one time I was going to be on at the top of the show or near the top of the show, yeah. and you called me early. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> it's, just, it's only quarter to 11. How can you do this? And you said, well, I said top of the, the show. show. See, to me, the top of the show was midnight. Midnight, yeah. Well, that's Patricia's time. I know it, but, but yeah. that means 10.30. Yes. That means 10.30 Eastern time. 10.30. Is the top of the uh, top of the show. Yeah, and then, uh, then the 12th, we're going to have a gentleman named Dennis Hart, who's written some books on the radio series Monitor, and you might have the book over I'm down... I was going to say, I got the book this week. Good. So that gives you another piece of homework to do in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Indeedy. And then on the uh, 19th, we'll see if we can get another author on before Patricia has a week off. She's gonna she's gonna relax and relax in the beach of Florida on uh, <laughs> Saturday. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> June twenty sixth. While she's bathing while she has a sun bath on the roof of her little apartment, you know? Or lying what? on the beach. What? Uh, <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> um I don't do those things folks. <laughs> Honest to goodness, I don't 
do those things. Uh, I just try to make. We are expecting an active hurricane season this year, however, so we'll have lots of interesting things to report on that. That's right. We need to make sure Patricia is prepared. We need to make sure she has all the items in her closet. Patricia learned her lessons a few years ago. Patricia's hurricane closet I begin storing about now each year. And I set aside extra food and water and oil for the lanterns and lamps, candles, and just anything that I am going to need for at least a week and uh, get prepared for this stuff. I make extra ice. I'm so good. I know. We need, I learned my lesson. We just, I was prepared for 24, maybe 48 hours and really got hammered a few years ago with how long, the, how long the storms you, that came through. So. How, when, that big, when that bad one hit, how long were you really <laughs> sort of out of, uh, um, on I, your own? The one that hit, excuse me, <coughs> the one that hit my area, I, and my power came on fast. Mine was out for six days. Six and days? And we had no water for three or four days. Wow. Um, and that that was difficult. Living without running water was was kind of difficult because we had no way of knowing ahead of time that they were going to shut it off. We had uh, um, some pipe problems, some because all of our our um, we're flat. Nothing can run uphill or downhill. Everything is flat, so everything has to be pumped, and that includes what comes in as well as what goes out. And when you have no power, you have no pumps. So um, it's it's kind of an interesting situation. But an awful lot of people got hurt so so badly in those two years that um, we went into overdrive. But we, in my particular area, we had uh, several storms, but only one really bad one that did uh, quite a bit of damage. Quite a bit of damage, and we had curfews and all sorts of things. But we were so fortunate. We were so fortunate. You can replace a roof. You can replace a building. You cannot replace people. Nope. And so we were very lucky. Well, we don't want to lose you, Patricia. I don't want to get lost either. Uh. Thank you. <laughs> so I'll be sitting here in the corner just waiting for the storms to move through. Well, we're supposed to have a really active one, active season this year. Well, we'll be keeping track of all that. We ran out of names that one year. And we're supposed to run just, out of names this year, too. They, they, they ran out Freddy, Joe, Bob, and Harriet and just didn't know what else to do with themselves. Did not know how to get past W. Wilma was the last named storm. I think that was the two, 2005 season. Um, and then they started with the Greek alphabet and they just kept coming and coming and coming. Really a remarkable season. So anyway, that's the end of, of the weather tale. All right. 61 degrees here. It does not feel 61 degrees. It feels 161 <laughs> degrees still. But um, I, I think that's kind of interesting. It went down so low. We've been in the 90s. So. That's pretty good. So nobody's going to call and help you tonight, Walden. That's okay. We can save it for next week. We can save it for next week. Would you like just one more to get tossed in there? Uh-huh. We're waiting for somebody to call about Blondie and Dagwood's son. What was the name of Blondie and Dagwood's son? And let's see. Um, who was the Green Hornet's 
manservant and assistant in his crime fighting. Who was the Green Hornet's buddy? That's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Gosh, hey. how, how do you come up with all these trivia questions, Patricia? <laughs> I do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> I do my homework. Oh. You know what I need to start doing is spending more time with John Dunning's book. Yep. Well, I'll listen to these shows every once in a while. Um, people are calling in and asking for shows that I haven't heard before, so I get to listen to some new ones. And uh, I'll pick up a piece of information in one of these shows and say, Aha, let's see. Do we have a caller? Hello, caller. Yes, we have a caller. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good, Brian. So, so you guys can go to bed. Hi. <laughs> who, who is going to bed? I, I'm sorry, I missed that. Brian wants us to go to bed sometime. Well, <laughs> no, I said, I said I answered so you guys can go to bed. Oh, you ha do you have an answer? I don't know. I would think the first one is Alexander. Um, yes, Blondie, you, uh, Blondie and Dagwood. Mm -hmm. And the other one's Cato. And the other one is Cato. Okay, but now you got to get the hard one. Now you have the hard one. I didn't hear a third one. I just heard those two. Well, she, uh, you weren't listening. You we weren't started listening. out with. Okay, what was that? What was the what was the hard one? Two hard ones. Okay, what are the two hard ones? Two hard ones. This one came from Walden, and I'm so proud of myself that I knew the answer. Please, everybody, I knew the answer right. to this one. <laughs> the original name of Tonto's horse. The original name. Uh huh. Wasn't it? Okay, there was White Feller. That's it. All right. That's well. it? That's it. All right. Okay. Okay. Now you wow. Now, I am really impressed. Now, here's, you know. Here's you, a really hard one, right? Yeah. You know, you know, Orphan Paul from okay. Washington, you know, hmm. Finster. Oh, yeah. Paul Masaryk. Are we allowed to say that? Okay. I'm going to anyway, because he came up with the idea. Okay. He wants to try it very well every week. And <laughs> They have Patricia come up with two questions. Go away. I've got three sets of notes here. From um, uh, the Malamutes um, uh, were from um, the, the Malamutes were first mentioned on. September 14th, 1944, and it continued every week on King, on you Malamutes, from September 14th, 1944 through May 1st, 1945. So that was here's, the, here's the answer right here. It says, at the end of World War II, Huskies were rationed. Give me that break here. And only Malamutes could be used on Yukon King. You know, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know. Is there a re? Is there? A, there's got to be a significance. How well then? There is, and I think there's a significance because there was such an unusual break in between. They used huskies on September seventh. Mm -hmm. September twelfth, it was just on King. No huskies, no Malamutes, and the following show, they went to Malamutes and stayed there for eight months. So stayed there until night and stayed there till the end of the war, right? Uh, until May 1st, 1945. Pretty close. Um, next week of May. Next week of May 8th. 
So they didn't do it on VE Day. They 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 took a break from it on uh, to celebrate Victory in Europe. Well, on May eighth, they went back to the Huskies. That's what I'm telling you. Has to do something with with victory over Japan or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know how they were going to tell that ahead of time. On am I gonna? Yeah. No, but they no, but I mean they just maybe for it's funny how they went back to Huskies about the time he did victory. Over a year, oh, that was VE, VJ Day, yeah, VJ Day. So, some information on the internet, and I think it's one of those uh, validations of my tongue in comment yeah. almost every week that if it's on yeah, the internet, yeah, over Japan was in, in uh, August. Yeah, uh, it, right. it's verbatim, and it's repeated and repeated and repeated, which means one person wrote it and everybody copied it, and it says that the writers used Malamutes and Huskies interchangeably, so you would find Malamutes on one show and Huskies on another show. And that's, not, that's just not the case. And it's just, and I, I cannot make sense out of that. Well, who would want, want to use a Malamute anyways? Well, you know, I mean, even the sound of it, well, I, I mean, a Malamute is... Yeah, this doesn't have that same, you know. They're, they're both um, similar dogs uh, in, in the way they look and the kind of work that they do, but... It it just it doesn't make for a good sound. It's not rhythmic. It's not musical. It it's mm -hmm. it's an oddball word to use in that context. So that's my puzzle for the week. It is. It is. And it's like if, you know, it's like if the Lone Ranger went off every episode and said, "Hello, Scout, away." You know, it just doesn't have the same. Yes, over. that's exactly right. The other question that Patricia had out. The Mert ever appeared on a show? I've heard the answer is no, but is that not true? That is not true. I have heard her on the show. It's a her? Yeah, it's a her. Very, okay, because it's funny that I knew it was going to be a trick answer, but you know all the books say she never did. Well, it's not really a trick answer. Um, she appeared in person when she stopped by for the last show of the season on... June 22nd, 1943, to wish the uh, McGee's a happy vacation. And neither one of them knew who she was. That was part of, the, part of the show. They say, well, you yeah. know, thanks an awful lot. Goodbye. And Molly said, who was that? I don't know. Who did, who did? And it turned out, of course, to be Mert, the operator. She yelled back, I'm Mert. Um, and that, that was the only time that I know of that she appeared in person. Well, what do you know? You know, but, I always wondered. It's, it's June 22nd, 1943, and the show is getting ready for a camping trip. Who played her? I beg your pardon? Who played the character? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Man, it wasn't like one of the regular ensemble or anything? Nope, I, I did not recognize the voice. Well, maybe it was a guy. Maybe it was Marlon Hurt. I don't I think, think so. so. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was really a woman who showed up at the door. And she stopped by to wish them a happy vacation because they were, of course, going on summer break. Mm -hmm. And she said, uh, and that, that was Mert. And there is a second one that I will say for a very hard question. Well, okay, how about, uh, here's one for Brian. What was Teeny's last name? Tiny. <laughs> <laughs> Teeny Tiny? Okay. Yeah. Wasn't it? I don't know her last name. That's Robin. right. That's right. That's the trick. But we know her first name. We know her first name. 
Yeah, they did say that on the show. How do you know that she doesn't have a last name? Because Patricia knows everything. No, I don't. I mean, I've never heard them use it. I don't know. I've never heard a last name for her. Yeah, but she had to have a last name if she had a first name. If her name. Oh, was... she had to have a last name, but that doesn't necessarily mean. We called now without it. What was her first name? What was her real first name? Teeny was a nickname. Were Teeny and Sis the same kid? Uh huh. Basically, they were. Yes, okay. they were. Godfather oh. in the earlier shows called her Sis, and Molly called her little girl in the earlier shows, and then uh, she became Teeny. I, I, yeah, I remember a show that they actually used her name one time. I think it was around Christmas time, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And I don't remember what they said. I want to say it was something like, uh, there was some like old name like Alice or Rosemary or um, was it a flower? <laughs> <laughs> Rosemary. Well, it, I don't remember actually, but I do. I do remember them using it one time. Yeah, it, it's it's a name I would say, Patricia. That's not normally you. Really today? Yeah, it's an old. Like I was gonna say it's an old lady's name, right? No, I wouldn't. Well, call not it. an old lady's no. name. It's my cousin's name. Oh, it is. But it is. It is not one. I mean, the names uh, in mainstream today. Um, we've got uh, Tiffany and. It's, it's not. It's not a barber or something. And, yeah. No, it was. It was. If I remember right, it was. Um, it wasn't Esther, Vivian, or anything like that. It was, I thought it had, like, some kind of, uh, oh, gosh, it was like, what's the first letter? No, 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 no. No hints. Because that's called guessing. I don't know. Well, somebody else needs to call in. I need to get off this line so somebody else can call with that answer. That's why we nobody else can call in and answer it, because I'm holding up the line. <laughs> Well, we've been asking this one for a while, and uh, we have not had anyone call in with the answer. And there really is. It's its not a trick question. There is a show uh, in the lineup that specifies it. And uh, yeah, there, and there was. On it. Like I said, it was. I remember hearing it myself one time. It was around, it was like, I, don't, I might be getting confused, but I think I heard it when we were listening to shows to do for reps one year and I came across a, little, a couple of teeny or maybe you did a teeny maybe it's in that teeny one that you transcribed I don't think so last year for Radio Memories didn't you transcribe a, a teeny show maybe that's where I saw the name well let's see here I've got she did. what was the day was it the one where she comes in right, the um, one, yeah the one that Patricia transcribed Christmas Day 1951 and I don't think it's in that show Okay, wasn't the one where she sings some little thing about her beautiful dolly? Right, or... it's not in that show. No, okay. not the one. Where did I see that name? Because I thought, did you transcribe one the year before? <laughs> no, let's see about the Came year before. It. I've got you all here in uh, a single folder. It was Alice. And it was Alice. We did the Bickersons and... Alice with the roomy, with the border. It was not Alice. That's right, that's right. Alice. Hello. Elton and Lil Abner and Jack Benny and Edgar Bergen, but the only Fibber McGee's we did were the Flying Saucer and the Christmas one where she sang about her little raggedy Ann. No, okay. Okay. That maybe, but I just why I heard him say a name one time because I remember thinking, is that her real name? 
Uh, no, I remember. I, I remember what I was thinking actually when they said the real her name in one episode because I heard it at one point. Mm-hmm. Remember it, but I remember thinking to myself, okay, did they only use it that one time? Or I was thinking, okay, did it was the continuity on this? Did they ever use her name again? Were they consistent enough to use the same name? As far as I know, it was the only time she was identified. Her first name, her actual first name, was given. I've never heard it referenced in any other show. Because I know sometimes when y'all listen to these old shows, and you'll mm-hmm. finally hear the name. Oh, I know. Oh, and you realize, wait, they use a different one on another. Like Gildersleeve, how many different first names did he have? Jack Morton. But there was um, George. Oh, you're talking about the early Fibber McGee. Oh, the early shows, yeah. yeah. Um, they, they had him in came variety of George Gildersleeve for a while, and then it was... Gildersleeve's uh, memory course, and uh, he was an for, eye doctor. Yeah, and then he, there was like there was even a name before Throckmorton, wasn't there? On on Gildersleeve, yeah. when, when he actually became the neighbor? At no, just, I don't know if it was maybe when, I think by the time he go into the, when he was the actual neighbor, he was Throckmorton, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, when he was actually in his he own came, neighbor, When he actually became Gildersleeve as an ongoing regular character, he had a first name that was consistent. So, but you got to come up with Teeny's first name. It was, uh, no, it, it wasn't. Was Sil- it was Sylvia. <laughs> I'm sorry. The devil made me say that. Teeny's name was, it was Sylvia. Not Sylvia. See, we're into kissing again. Well, and she just seems like a Sylvia. No, she was not a Sylvia. That might have been her cousin. <laughs> or her great-great-aunt. Does Walden know the answer? Yes, she does. Well, I got, although I basically have a whole week to, to look this up. You do? Sure. So I'll just call you next week with that answer. Somebody else doesn't get it. Well, we've been asking for quite a while, and nobody has called in with the answer. Well, what time are you asking? Are you asking it before midnight? Maybe everybody goes to bed by the time you ask that question. Well, I'll take that under advisement. Ask right right when you come on the air. Our last week's question was not answered, and it's no. worth Seriously, I think we've probably done that. that. What's that? I, I'm confident that at different times I have done that. You know, we're going to have trivia tonight. Here are last week's questions, and we don't have any answers yet. And yeah, then absolutely. go into information about the show. And we've asked this one a couple of different times in a couple of different places, uh, quite a few. And nobody knows the answer. That's not true. Somebody knows the answer. We haven't gotten a call with the answer. Well, I don't. I bet you Phil Leslie doesn't know the answer. I beg your pardon? Who doesn't? I bet you Phil Leslie doesn't know the answer. Phil Leslie knows the answer. Or knew the answer. (laughs) Or knew the answer. He might have forgotten. What about, uh, it's, Walden, do you know the answer? I sure do. Walden knows the answer. How long have you known the answer for, Walden? A long time. Is it your question? I'm going to give it to Patricia. It's hers. It belongs to Patricia. It comes out of her creative soul. <laughs> okay, Patricia, what is your middle name? Oh, do I have to tell? No. I'm not going to tell. I, I don't particularly like the I, name. I know it, but I won't tell. Well, then hey, what's, your, what's your cousin's sister's name? My cousin's sister's name. Well, I have more than 20 cousins, 
so. Give me, give me that you do. Yeah, I do. Well, how'd that happen? <laughs> I'm going to have to ask my aunts and uncles. <laughs> I, wasn't... I mean, I mean do, you have, do you have, do you have, um, does your mom have lots of siblings? Uh, there were five in my mother's family and five in my father's family, so they all have a bunch of munchkins. Well, you know, I probably have 20 cousins, too, and just don't know it. That's true. I never thought about that. You just, you just have to stop and count. Well, because I, so, I always forget my dad's family, and my dad was one of ten, so I'm a... So I, I think you probably have a bunch of cousins, then. Yeah, and, yeah, and they might even be so... I only have four first cousins. You have four? That's it. First cousins? Yep. My grandmother, my, my, dad, my dad, mom, had 40. My goodness. So, I do too. family reunions were pretty big. We don't have family reunions. I figure, you know, who needs to see? Now, that's interesting. Family reunions are traditional. This is something that doesn't happen in the last couple of years. But over the years, families got together. I don't recall ever hearing an old-time radio show that talked about a family reunion. Do you, Walden? I do. Uh, the couple next door, uh, had a family reunion, and the, the plot was, uh, you know, Peg Link's hubby, you know, they always call him Dear and Deary, they didn't use the first name. He got roped in, he didn't really want to go to the family reunion, but he got roped in to write limericks for each of the attendees at the dinner party. And he was affected by his mother to deliver on cue, to stand up and read. And he didn't want to do it, and so he's struggling trying to write limericks, I think. Or saying, or, 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 or tricks, or, or smart and funny sayings about everybody. And he's, he's complaining to her, I don't know what that person's like. Well, here's what your mother wrote down. He likes apple pie, and he's always the last one at dinner. Write something funny about him. Oh, my goodness. You know, that that's almost a parallel to where my brain was going with Bob Mills earlier because they used to write for hundreds of guests. But, of course, they all had to be consistent with Bob Hope. Bob actually governed what was going to appear in the script, so I guess they weren't writing for other people. They were writing a script and other people had to fulfill it, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit different. But I, I can't imagine trying to write something witty about a person I never met. Well, you know, our, our friend Bob Mills told a story, you know, generally what they would do, the writers would interview the celebrity and have, you know, it's, that way they would know. And I don't know if he put it in the book, he probably did, who was the toughest interview he ever had to work with because he gave him so very little information. No, I don't recall. With Neil Armstrong. Oh, oh, yeah, he, he talked about Neil Armstrong yeah. and that... He couldn't get anything out of him. He was difficult because he read a card one word at a time, and he, he said that there was just no way that they could get any emotion or anything out of him that would be consistent with the show, and especially a comedy show. Right, and also when he did an interview to know what to write about him, he couldn't give up any information until Bob Mills stumbled upon the idea or did you build any model airplanes at the kit? And that was about the only thing he would get aside to talk uh-huh. about. So, 
It would be uh, tough. That's our Neil. Yep. That's our Neil. Yeah, what do you what do you think his middle name is? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's probably Bubba. I was amazed, you know, he was in front of the con- congressional hearings here this past week. I was surprised he would see me get up there. Cause he was, uh, he didn't like the idea of shutting down, shutting down the space shuttle program. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Well, hey, name five famous Neils. Um, Neil the dog in Topper. Okay, good. Um, maybe I'll give that to you. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> well, he's only got one. He's still got four more to go. Neil. Neil Armstrong. Armstrong. Um, Neil. Neil. You can't, and you can't say Noel Neil. Oh, Patricia Neil. Does that count? No, it has to be Neil. Has to be the first name. Oh, well, you didn't say that. I guess I'm changing the rules. <laughs> I'll help you out. How about Neil Hamilton? How about who's he? Wasn't he, I thought he was the chief on Batman. I wouldn't know. Was that Neil Hamilton? I don't know. Well, then I don't need to help you out anymore then, do I? Well, I think another one? How about Neil Sedaka? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm out. How about Neil Neil Simon? Yes. Very good. Uh, Okay, Patricia, we got to come up with, how many more, Brian? One or two more? I think that was it. That was it. Because we're not counting the dog. <laughs> oh, come on. Armstrong, Neil Hamilton, Neil Sedaka, Neil, Neil Simon. Simon. You got one more. Neil Armstrong. Armstrong, Simon, Hamilton, Sedaka. And was the, fifth? the dog. The dog ain't cowing in this. Okay. But he was in all-time radio, and he was a character, and he was there, and he loved martinis. How about Neil Hefty? Hey, that's a good one. The orchestra leader. I like that. Okay. I helped you out there. <laughs> so we have six. How about five famous pals? Five famous uh, pals? Paul Simon. Paul. Pals. Paul Simon. Uh-huh. And, um... Paul Winchell. Paul, the, the orchestra leader. Paul Whiteman. That's Paul Whiteman, yeah. This is easier than heck. Paul Harvey. Yes. Paul Winchell, Paul Simon, Paul Harvey, Paul Whiteman. Um, there's a Paul, he's um, an orchestra leader or a band leader. He's, he's little and he's into jazz and I... I can't oh, you're thinking of the guy on David Letterman? I was just going to say, I don't recall if it was Letterman or Leno, but I think it was Letterman, yeah. His and then name the, is Paul. And then there's Paul Hughes, who was the character actor on the, on the Long Range with the deep, yeah, heavy voice. Yeah, don't forget Paul Douglas. Paul Douglas, the movie star and the announcer. Yeah, we should have made that ten, huh? Well, we got, we got your five. Because if you were Andrew Fred, you would do probably. Now, let me ask you, what about Brian spelled your way? B-R-Y-A-N. Are there any famous Brian spelled that way? I don't know how they spell it, so I, I couldn't tell you. Uh-huh. Probably not. I've noticed, though, that, that everybody I meet anymore is spelled my way. So it must have been a thing from 60s and 70s. I guess so. Everybody I know. Hendrickson is a Y. Uh, Hatton is a Y. Um, and Brian Hatton. And uh-huh. also another thing I found out, that everybody who's whose kid names are Kid Brian, seems to think their last name has to start with an H. <laughs> there's Brian Hendrickson. There's Brian Hatton. 
there's Brian Hanner. There's me. Brian Haygood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brian oh, what the heck? <laughs> um, and none of them are tall. <laughs> tall Paul. Yeah, are you? Not Paul. I'll know. I'll know. Hey, so there you go. What about five famous Freds? Fred McMurray. Fred Allen. Yeah, this is easier than pie. Do not say He's Fred. Freeloader. Fred Rogers. Oh, Mr. Rogers, uh -huh. yes. Um. Freddie the Freeloader doesn't count. I like it. I'm not getting anything from the Seattle facts in here. I see here. Fred. Fred. You can't say Fred Mertz. Freddie Lynn. <laughs> Freddie Lynn. Center fielder for the Angels. Uh, Freddie Lynn. Is, is his name really Fred, though? Or is it Freddie? Freddie. Or is it Frederick? Oh, who knows? Thanks. He doesn't go by Fred, so it doesn't count. Okay. Me and my rules. I'm just horrible. Go to your room. <laughs> yeah, Fred. Fred. Oh, I know who. Fred Mertz. Uh, Fred Thompson. Frank Thompson, isn't it? I don't know who's Fred. Who's that guy that's in that's the actor that runs for... Oh, that, yeah, that's Fred. I, th I think that's Fred. Poor guy. Poor guy. <laughs> so, uh, we might have got it. So, okay. We'll just go with it. I'm going to have to... What's the phone number for Fibber, McGee, and Molly? Um... Oh, God. Um... 79 Whistle Vista. So it's, uh, it's, um... Gosh, I, see, I saw that in a magazine once. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I Patricia, know. Patricia knows the answer. I think in one of her trivia files. You know, like Murray something? The answer. I don't think she knows the answer. Murray or something, Murray Five or Murray Hill or, or is that suspense? It would have been two weeks ago. Fine, you just keep talking. I'll find it. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. She'll be fine. Let's see here. Also, who had the first mobile phone in, in, on on Fibber, McGee and Molly? A mobile phone? Yes. Mm -hmm. Who had a mobile phone? Yes, they had a mobile phone on the Phil McGee and Molly show. They did, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. That would have probably been, um, who would have had the first mobile phone? Probably, uh, Mrs. Carstairs or Mrs. Uppington. Nope. 1954. Oh, it was uh, the weatherman. Nope. Nope. Well, I, I could just go through everybody in the cast, so I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know who um, had the very first mobile phone. Why, is this when they went to the lake or something? Nope. He was calling in town. Why would he be on a mobile phone? Well, if you think what he did for I mean, it makes sense. Who is this? That's what I'm asking. Who who had it? Oh, that'd be the doctor. That's right, Dr. Gamble. It was Dr. Gamble, and the McGee's telephone number was... Murray Hill. No, nothing, nothing in front of it. It was simply four three six six. That's all it was given out. Because they didn't want people calling other people at middle middle of the night. 
you know, because that's not enough digits to be a telephone number. Well, it was when you had to even, call the operator. Um, was it, it was even then? I think you had small town. Your numbers were and like they were getting telephone numbers, and that's what people they did. didn't have. I thought people had numbers what? like uh, Sunset and Alpine and and Wistful Wistful Five and things like that. Right. Like around here, the number was Sunset Five. 6606 and, and that came much later i've seen some of the historical information and samples that they had or have at the old museum here <clears throat> excuse me and when the telephone company and it was a private um a private business uh the telephone system had numbers like one two Three, that was all they had. That was all they had. They would pick up the, the phone and say, give me number four or give me number 22. They had no prefix, no exchange number, no nothing. Right. For example, Brian, you know when the first one, the first time we had a direct dial number and who had it? No, anywhere near us. That's kind of a cheat one. I know. It was the president. Correct. And what number was it? And what year? Pennsylvania 65,000. Oh, you're good. But a little simpler than that. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> Patricia knows. There's number one. Right. And but and it one... only went from one office to the other on the same property. Yeah. It wasn't, oh. it wasn't a telephone exchange in the sense that it was connected to the rest of the world. It was, it was more like an intercom than a, an actual telephone. 1877. It's on their first direct dial number. What's installed in the White House? 1877? Yep. Mm. Well, at the museum here, we at the Rosine House, <laughs> don't we, have, we have a, an original switchboard. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Not bad. You know, it looks like the CBS switchboard when people called up to complain that the War of the Worlds was scaring the daylights out of them. And can you imagine we're going to have Norman Corwin, whose show followed Wars of the World that night? He figured nobody bothered to listen to his show then. That's, that's not even true. Well, that's good. What, do you, what, what show was he on? He, was part of, he had a, uh, first, I think it was called um, First Person. It was on, because the fourth Sunday evening hour followed that show. Well, that's Maybe he maybe he meant he his show came on sometime after that, but he was there in the studio that, that night. That could be because yeah. he could have came on like at ten or ten thirty. Right. Yeah, like maybe a little later. Right. Yeah. I'm not gonna. If Norman says it, it's true. I just thought you were saying it. Okay. <laughs> no, but it was the fourth. He could have been on the fourth Sunday evening hour. No, he had a home show that he wrote or directed or something. I remember. Else. I remember. I've heard of that show. Yeah. Actually, I've heard of that show. I'll ask him about it. You mm -hmm. know. But he might have, because, uh, I don't know, interesting, isn't it, Patricia? Very. And it's called First Person White? I have to look it up, but it's not, it's not, it's not the Columbia Workshop. I, I have the, um... The First I, Person Singular was the Columbia Workshop. Yeah, right? I, I have, I think so. I have the, um, I have, it works without music. Because I have the plot to overthrow Christmas, which was done that, uh, that a month, two months later, in 1938, and that's the name of the series. I think called Words Without Music. Hmm. So, so there you go. 
Well, if you listen to Kixie, you get music without words. Mm -hmm. If you put those two together, you'll have some. Did, um, yeah, so, so Patricia, mm -hmm. where did you come up with all this, uh, um, trivia? Mm -hmm. Are you asking me how? Yeah, like all the, you know, all these telephone, you know, the first telephone number and all that stuff. Is that a Walden thing? <laughs> I don't know what a Walden thing is. I listen to shows and I take notes as I go. I mean, where did you hear this thing about the president's number first direct dial, 18? That's Walden. That's, That's a Walden. not mine. Oh, that was a Walden. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, okay. How many people, um, how many radio listeners were there? Uh, I mean, like, in, on, an, on the number, on an average, the number one program in, the, like, say, 1948-47, how many listeners did it have each week? I'm just thinking 1941 or so. I think Colin claims he had about, what, 60 million on some of those four coast, four hookup networks. So, um, I don't know, Brian, may, my guess, top might be 10 million. I'm not sure. Really? What do you think? You know, but I don't know because it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, like, I know that with, uh, like, with the TV shows today, because but there's so many different channels. I know that the like the number one show last week said that I saw the rating that said that it represented about 19 million viewers. But and then I saw some website not long ago that says like in the 60s, the 60s the number one show was 19 million viewers. Of course, the population was half then what it is now. But I, I don't know. I always thought that, I always got the impression that. That it was like 40 million viewers was usually the, maybe that was how many people were generally watching the evening network. And I don't know, what's your understanding of the audience that usually was out there for these shows? Do you have an idea, Patricia? Nope. Not a clue. It's funny, though, when you read, when you hear how many people are listening to or watching one of these cable news shows today, like on CNN or something, you find out that it's really like uh, it's amazing how many shows can get so much prestige like you read about like oh uh, some of the shows on like i think is it cnn or one of those like it only has like five hundred thousand listeners um an evening or something and the only reason i bring that up is i could have swore that back when the cbs radio mystery theater was on the air that they always claimed that they had about a million listeners a night and 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 didn't they walden I think you're right. I was just thinking, you know, 1941, uh, the U.S. population was 135 million. Mm -hmm. Here we're looking at, we're triple that. We're over 300 million. I was just thinking, just think of the, mm -hmm. just think of the uh, multiplications involved. Oh, yeah. So but there's also so much more the choice. The number of choices that, that people have in television as opposed to the choices that they had at the same time contemporaneously mm -hmm. on radio. How many choices did they have if they sat down and at 7.30 at night, how many shows could they possibly choose from? Well, I know that, I don't know for sure, I'd have to look, but I could have swear that I, in, the, in at one point it was like seven in our city. I mean, I think I saw, you'd see the network stations and you'd see like maybe four, but you'd see the other stations, you'd see some other four stations listed in like a box, but the other stations often were very much, very similar to what radio is today. They would just play records all the time.
But if if you look at simply seven stations, regardless of what they played, and measure that against the number of choices that people have had on TV, on on tiered cable, on HBO, on um, extended cable, on direct satellite TV. Exactly. The, the choices are extraordinary, and so today, the concentration today. would be diluted. Yeah, it wasn't what? Yeah, my point was that it wasn't as diluted back then. That's correct. I think a better mm-hmm. number, though, is to look at how many shares some of the popular shows had. Like, you know, was it the saying that Crosby, when he went to record in 1946, the deal was he could not fall under 12% of the population share. If he did, then he had to go back in the studio and do it live. Um, so they so if you look at you know I think Benny was in the 20s 23 range, uh, you know some of those shows had such a bigger percentage of the population mm-hmm. listening to it back then compared to anything today. That's probably yeah. a better mm-hmm. yeah, and better I think, number. I think in television, and I could be wrong about this. Like when they talk about a share, what they're I mean, you can take that and make math that we determine how much of the population is, but a share, the share of the audience is how many people were watching TV that period in time were watching your channel. I mean, that's what the share is. It's not a share of the population as a whole. It's of the people that were rated or were showing me watching television, how many people were watching. So, like, for mm-hmm. example, if you say there's 19 million people that watch the show, but you have a 62 share, 35 share. That just means of all the people watching television, 35% of them are watching your show because that's important for them to know because they want to know, okay, was this a high, you know, because sometimes TV nights, a certain night is higher rated than another. There's a, as it gets to be summer, you know, people, there's less people watching at seven, eight o'clock, but if they get like a high share, then they know, well, Jesus was very, you know, was, was taken notice by a lot of the people because we had like a 35 share, even though it wasn't as many people as in the winter. But it's a bizarre. Ratings are weird, and who? And when you really think about it, who? Could we? Could we really trust them? I don't know because you know now that you, with radio now, as they keep going on, as they're getting more and more scientific, and finding out and and finding out better ways to monitor the things. Boy, the ratings are sure changing for some stations. Well, I think that's why if you think about why premiums are so important during the old radio days. That was their barometers. That showed an mm-hmm. active participant. You, when you agree, Patricia, when you have a giveaway or people that send in for things, that's when you really knew how many active listeners you might have. Well, you had a better mm-hmm. idea of how many people were listening. Certainly not everybody sent in for coupons, but if you only got 10 requests as opposed to the 10,000 that you expected, mm-hmm. it was a great measure of whether or not you had a successful show. Well, I think it also told the, um, it also kept the sponsor's name paramount and, and it also showed the sponsor that people were actively, you know, because they had to go out and get that oval team <laughs> to get the, right. the top, didn't they? Well, they were talking about Horlicks last week when uh, Lumen Abner early on, it was in 1935, I believe, February of 1935, that they did the Horlicks flashlight offer. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? Yep, the one from 1935 that you looked up. You bet. That's right, 1935. Well, do, you think, and do, you, do you think that's cool or do you think that's ridiculous? I think it was really cool because they ran out of, <laughs> of flashlights and they had to keep reassuring people 
that they were going to get their flashlights, but that the response was so overwhelming that they uh, swamped the supplies and they had to wait. Because I would say, because I think that's cool, and some, and but there, there, <laughs> there is a show on radio that had a giveaway. wasn't a prize, but like a you know where you could send away for it. But I thought it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard, unless I don't get what it is. And it was when Birds and Allen were offering the baby pictures. <laughs> it's like, you know what I'm talking about, Walden? Birds and Allen? Birds and Allen? Remember they, during like the 40s or something, you could send away and get, they were offering the big, beautiful baby pictures or something? No, I don't of, remember that. Of whose baby? That's what I can figure out. It's like she'd get a picture of some strange baby or something. A beautiful framed baby picture, like women. You don't remember that, Walden? No. Yeah, when we transcribed for Reps in 2007, I had to hear it. I think it was uh, Tracy Wants to Make George Look Younger. Oh, yeah. Well, you listen to all those Burns and Allen shows. That's probably why you came across it, and I missed it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. I thought, what? Why would somebody want to send away for a baby picture? <laughs> well, what I thought was sort of a unique item in 1930s, they had tops with Fibber and Molly pictures on it. Yeah, that would, be, that would be cool, though. I know. It would be cool, but I would never thought of such an item. It was a well, yeah. Tops. yeah. The tops are useful, anyways. I don't know what I was going to do with some other person's baby picture on my wall. Well, maybe you kept Unless you're, maybe you could send... Maybe I misunderstood. I'm going to listen to that again. Mm-hmm. And we... I'll let you know, because the more I think about Brian, it, well, what the... But they kept talking, maybe it was a fr- frame for your baby picture. What was the, who was the sponsor at the time? Um, Swan Soap. Yeah, Soft for Babies, isn't it? Or something like that. Well, they, they never, I've never heard a show where they promoted it as a soap you could use for babies. Mm. Which doesn't mean it, it was when they had a conga line and they had a, they had, did you have that, that show, Walden Handy? Uh, but the, the one that you're talking about? Yeah. No. Because it was like, it was like uh, a bunch of baby, I don't know, I'll, I'll listen to it, we can, we can, you can pull it up next year, and, or next week, and if you're on the air after this night, and um, and decide that, uh, you tell me if it's that ridiculous or not. Well, what is, no, I think Patricia and I would like to know, at least I never heard it. Yeah, yeah, I, I've got it, I've got it, you could probably find it on archive.org. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, but I'm sure, I'm sure, because I'm going to do a conga line and alter the episode. They keep, and remember, send 10 cents and a self stem for your big, beautiful baby picture. I'm like, you know, maybe it's, I'm not catching what they're doing, you know. You know, maybe I'm not catching it. You know, maybe, maybe I'm missing it and what you're doing is you're sending them, sending them a baby picture that you have and they're framing it or something. Now well, I'm sense. just thinking, I wonder if it's 46 when you had such the baby boom, maybe there was demand for baby frames. I don't know. But, but yeah, I'm sure it's a baby picture, uh-huh. though. I don't know. Hey, is it true? I got a, I got a question for you, Patricia. Is it really true or is it somewhat of a myth or exaggerated that that Tato um, was Japanese before he became Filipino? Um, Martin Grahams just posted a note about that, that um, he was, 
Well, then help me with this. He was Filipino long before uh, World some, War II right. started with um, the Pearl Harbor attack. Right. I can't remember what he was before in the early, early shows. He was not Filipino and he was not Japanese. Um, do you recall? He was Irish. Well, I think he was Japanese in '38. I have, but I don't know. I don't know when they made the switch, and I know it was not December 7th, 1941. No, no, it was quite a while before yeah. that. Really? Mm-hmm. Really. Then, and what about, so what about to Uncle Don? Did he really swear at all those little children? Not from what I've read. Same here. So you're more of an expert than you're giving yourself credit for, because I've heard that, I've heard that Kermit Schaefer cannot be believed, haven't you, Walden? Say that again? Charlie Schaefer? I don't know who Charlie oh, Schaefer is. Kermit Schaefer and all his bloopers. Oh, that, yeah. They're not trustworthy. They are not trustworthy, and right. that's what I read about Uncle Don, that an awful lot of people, I say an awful lot of people, several people who have written about this had done some research, and the allegations are absolutely incorrect. Mm-hmm. He never said that. I have and I tend to believe that side. Right. I've listened to some of those bloopers. Were those the one on the two cassette buying you could buy in your stores? Yeah, and they were also, and they were also on albums. Well, you they, know, uh, you know, I have them on albums. And I, I am on cause, and, I, and a lot of those I get listen to, I get the, I can get listen to them that doesn't have a radio mm-hmm. studio feel about it. So you know, I, I no, it felt it's not. Yeah. yeah. There were a couple of others that had information and comments, um, and even artifact interpolated, um, but. Uncle Don, he got a bad rap. Yeah, that nice. That's right. Well, Uncle Don should be hold up for the good guy he was. Yep, he was. He never said a bad word about the kids. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, it was that nice. Now Bozo did, right? What about Bozo? Didn't Bozo do something, or was it? I don't know. Maybe some kid on Bozo said something that was. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Well, I, I, oh, I don't know. I thought, I thought the clown said goodbye to the kid. That's the only thing I can think of. No, that's not Bozo. That's um. No, it's what? Clarabelle. Clarabelle, yeah. I don't know. Oh, I think, I think, I always thought Bozo was sort of individual with costume, but every community had their own Bozo the clown. Yeah. That's how I understood how that was done. Yeah, I remember Bo- when I used to live in Fort Worth, Texas as a kid, there was a Bozo on there. Mm-hmm. And L.A. had one, um, but I always thought there was individual Bozo for each of the individual TV communities. I'm very disappointed. I thought there was only one Bozo. Well, I could be wrong. I, think, I know Larry Harmon, I think, it was credited as one of them, and uh, maybe there's a Bozo site. Oh, for goodness sakes. And you're going to tell me that there was more than one husky? No. No? Okay. No, I don't think so. Well, I am going to wrap up my end of this for tonight. All right, Patricia. Same here, same here. And I'm going to, and I will I will find out where the big baby picture is, and I will get that, and I will get that answer to you during the week. Excellent. Good night, Brian. Good night, Good night everybody. All right, pal. Brian. Bye-bye. And there he goes. And Patricia, should we yes, just save? A, should we save our show for next week? I think we'll save a show for next week. Okay. It's a good one too. Oh, that's good. We can run that thing early. Yeah. 
We can do it first, and I will look up some really nifty information about it. All right. Okay. Um, it's Sunday. Happy birthday, Ron, in Hawaii. Hawaii. Um, and we'll... Hours, which means it's coming up. It's about 11.30 his time out there. That's true. And so 5.30 almost both. Where, <laughs> where lots of good bunnies should be by now. And... Um, I get to say good night to everybody. Good night, Walden. Good night. Thank you for a wonderful evening. Oh, thanks for being with me. You and we'll would... talk to you next week. All right, Patricia. Good night, hon. Good night. And there she and goes. And tries to sell you sorrow. And we're going to go back to the automation system, everybody. Let me see here. Let me see here. We're going to do this right. And let me see.